Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that never really got a fair shake when they first came out. Maybe they were massive hits, big award winners, and everybody was seeing it, but nobody talks about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by Brendan Sexton III, who you can now see in Don't Breathe 2. Go to the theaters, make sure you see it. We're also going to talk, about, talk to him about his very first feature film, Welcome to the Dollhouse from 1996, the Todd Salons movie. Uh, that's, that's a pretty, you know, just looking at it uh, from, I, I just saw the movie the first time for the podcast. I'll just throw that in there. <laughs> Knowing that was his first film. Wow. It's, it's, it's like, hey kid, you want to be in a Lars von Trier movie? <laughs> it's very, it's, it's strange because, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing it when it came out. And uh, for those who don't know, Welcome to the Dollhouse is a, I guess what you can call a coming of age teen movie. But when it came out, it was a lot more um, explicit and uh, maybe more depressing than those kind of things normally would be. It's, a, it's about a, a young lady named Dawn Wiener and her kind of experiences growing up through high school and where in a life where nobody, not even her family, really cares about her in essence. In good old suburban New Jersey. <laughs> I did not have PTSD flashbacks at all with this film. And, and, and Don't Breathe too. for those who don't know, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's the sequel, obviously, to Don't Breathe, movie where Stephen Lang plays a blind man who beats and shooters. <laughs> but uh, it was a lot more behind, of course, those stories. But I'm sure most people know what this is about. But yeah, I mean... When I saw the film, when it first came out, like I, I saw him and then I remember seeing him in something else like immediately like right after. And he's the kind of guy who like would pop up here and there, but like, not that you'd forget about him, but it's just like, as he grew up, you're like, oh my God, oh my God, that's, Brent, that's the guy from Welcome to the Dollhouse kind of thing, you know? And it's just like, so seeing him kind of just like go through all these stages is great. And it's fantastic that he's gonna come here and talk to us. And I can't wait to, to see what he has to say about both these movies. I really think that our show is good with with character actors. I mean, it's not. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because you know we we still need to get some, maybe some of the heavy hitters need to return our calls or something. But I really like. The, look, how many episodes are we in here? This is like episode nineteen twenty. We've had a really good guest roster. Well, I'll, let's be let's be let's be fully honest. I'm no no ill will, no shade here at the box office leading men kind of thing, leading oh, ladies kind all. of thing. Character actors are the best there is. And they got the stories, man. They got I, the stories. I almost don't like calling them character actors in a way. Me too. They're the ones, they're the ones who do all the best work. Let's, let's be completely honest. But with all that being said, I think it's time to get Brendan in here to kind of get his, his thoughts on all of this because I'm sure he's got plenty to say. Oh, absolutely. And that is why we welcome Brendan Sexton III to Overdue Rentals. Thank you so much for joining us on Overdue Rentals, though. We really appreciate it. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And, and, and I think we should just jump into it, though, because, you know, everybody was really, I think, shocked when the first Don't Breathe came out. And, and, yes. and really just like it, it, came, it came as like out of left field. So when they approach you to come to the sequel, is it something like you immediately jump onto or you have to kind of go through it and make sure it makes sense? Both, both. Because I read the script and to me, it was a real page turner. And I mm -hmm. thought, uh, 
I didn't think Raylan was a straightforward, spoiler alert, villain. I thought there was a lot of great twists and turns to his character that helped propel the plot. But I was also a huge fan of the filmmakers uh, beforehand. And I had no idea I was a fan of theirs. I was a fan of their work, but I didn't realize they were the authors and the creator of the works. I saw a short film they did 10 years ago um, called Panic or Panic Attack. It's on YouTube. It's got millions of hits and you can watch it. And it's a little sci-fi three-minute thriller. And Then I watched the Evil Dead remake 10 years ago in theaters opening night when it came out. And oh, I just, man. Uh, right? Right? I thought that movie was hilarious. I cracked up watching that thing. And I laughed for 90 minutes straight, uh, more than I had at any other comedy I've seen. And the audience hated me because all I did was laugh the whole time and ruin their movie-going experience. And then I saw Don't Breathe. And, and then it wasn't until the script of Don't Breathe 2 that I put it all together that these are the same filmmakers. And I just thought, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in good hands and I can't wait to be a part of this. This is another one of those sequels where no matter what you did, it was a hell of an undertaking because one just had that amazing twist and the way that they oh. built Stephen Lang's character. And even with the reviews that I've seen for the film, a lot of people are like, okay, uh, we need to talk because... Yes. Are you kidding that this guy is supposed to be our friend now? And the movie right. really handles that so brilliantly. Good. I'm glad you think so. I would say, like, I would say he's the main character, but I wouldn't say he's the hero nor the protagonist. I would say the protagonist is the little girl. And she's, to me, the story was always about her, certainly thematically and spiritually, the the story is about her to me. To me, it's a coming of age story and it's about um, a girl growing into her own and, you know, being forced to, at an early age, become a woman, you know, mm -hmm. before anyone should have to be ready to do such a thing. That's to me what it's about. It's about the little girl coming into her own and being her own person and making her own choices. And and that's that's how I see it. I mean, it is... it for both films is very interesting because yes, obviously she's the only one in this one that has the availability to be still innocent, but both the first Don't Breathe and this Don't Breathe, every character is kind of, there's, there's no real good guy, even though you, you, you're rooting for people back and forth, you don't know where it begins. So it must be an interesting thing to kind of settle into in that case. Oh, it's so fun, to be honest. I, I think um, the, that, actions and the motivations are even more despicable and more deplorable and 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 the ambiguity is just that much more intense um and and then the twists and turns just hit so much harder because they're more unexpected and and the consequences and the stakes are higher so i to me i just i fell in love immediately and i just wanted to be a part of that and wanted to navigate those charcoal gray areas how ready for you were you to uh tangle with stephen lang because i mean that man is intimidating at, at, to say the least <laughs> you get this yeah, great yeah. sequence with him i think that's a great way to put it to tango to tango and tangle with stephen lang it's like he's 
I'm, I'll say this. He's not going to give it to you if you don't bring it. Like, that man is ready to work. You know, he's been at this for decades. He's a veteran, and he's the real deal. So he, you, you better not be wasting his time on set. Like, he's – it's this isn't a game to him. He has fun doing it, but it's not a game. So I I really respect that about him, to be honest. Uh, and I – and it made me excited. Like, one of – the way one of the other actors put it was that Stephen Lang is a leading actor with a character actor's work ethic Mm. and that he is just so ready to play so ready to work and you know he's he's an older gentleman who's doing push-ups before takes and and just like getting pumped and doing his own stunts and he's not effing around at all and so I really liked that and I let him know you know from the first take like I'm here too like see me i'm available i'm ready let's go let's do this and and he respected that and we he and i had this amazing set piece action sequence uh at the end and i still have a scar from one of our takes doing it and oh yeah 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 and um he felt terrible at the time but you know it was we he and I actually our our sequence we didn't get to rehearse Uh, a lot of the other actors got to rehearse their scenes um days or weeks in advance and so when they were ready to shoot they they had some familiarity with what they were doing and there was maybe some muscle memory if possible there and he and I did not get that opportunity so we were rehearsing on the day before each take Mm -hmm. and and so you know mistakes happen and whatever and um I got clipped and it's all good. Like in a way it's like my badge of honor. It's my little thing that I have, you know, and no one can take that from me. So. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to know, and again, obviously more for Steven, I guess, than you at this point, even though it would fit in for your character by the end of that. Yeah. Because the idea that being blind is all in this. And again, you're even in that everybody's in smokes. The idea is you're not supposed to be able to see too. So does maybe that, length of not having the rehearsal also play into maybe the performance for something like that? Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, that that's one of the thematic metaphors of, of the film. And, um, and it's also a great uh, device, you know, that he used effectively in the first film and he uses effectively again in this film, which is um, taking away the advantage of sight of the other characters and, and putting them on a level playing field and you know Stephen um wears contact lenses when he shoots these scenes and so he's even the action scenes he's pretty close to blind hmm. and uh he can see shapes and shadows and movement and vague colors but he is not seeing full formed individuals that's for sure and he's doing action sequences that way and he's that committed and so you know um i just applaud him and like loved working with him because it's like oh if he's if he's doing it i have to do it too and and it just uh so yeah so when we did our big action sequences he was blind like if you can imagine he's doing all these huge stunts partially blind impressive (laughs) yeah right definitely just you know intimidating yeah. and impressive those two big descriptors you want for for an actor like yeah. Lang. because i mean like you said character actor work ethic meets you know leading man's sort of chops and and just having that centerpiece 
any day you can land that sort of person in your project, it's like, yeah, okay, uh, at least we have that. And then everything else just forms around that. Yeah, at least we have that. Like you could always rely on that. It's like, we will always have that. And it's, and it's amazing that one actor provide a, a safety net for a whole project in that way. And he, he set the tone, he set the bar and I think everybody met it, you know? Now, what's your favorite part about playing an antagonist? Because again, Raylan is not another, is, is, is another character where it's not a hundred percent. Oh, he's a villain. It's like, he gets pretty nasty, but for a little while you, you have us going like that little middle stretch you have us going it's like oh wait <laughs> wait oh okay wait no yes but no no yeah. no 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 actually actually no yeah i think i lucked out with Raylan because it is it could have easily been one dimensional and um you know this is the villain blah 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 and in, instead he is an antagonist that helps push the story forward with his motivations and we realize what they are at the end um, but we're always guessing what they are especially in the first two acts of the film and I just the the way I put it is he gets to as an actor he gets to display a lot of different temperatures um, there's different hues and he um, he's there are moments where he's soft and delicate and there are moments where he's just utterly cruel and cold. And then there's a moment or two where he's volcanic. And so it's just, in some ways, you know, it's, it's sure it's just a villain, but as an actor, in, in some ways, it's a dream to play those kinds of roles. That's, to me, that's a lot of, that's a lot to play with. That's a lot to work with. And so I had fun, I had a blast. You know, I think it would come with any type of, you know, I think a lot of people think don't breathe. They think horror thriller and it's more of horror adjacent, I would say, but a lot of people want to right. pump it in there because of what happens. But I think probably what a lot of people get these kinds of scripts as indebted as you are to the character and want to actually kind of solve what their motivations are for yourself. Is there part of you that's going through saying, what kind of cool stuff do I do? What kind of cool stuff happens to me? <laughs> right. I would say I absolutely had that moment as an actor reading the script. I thought that uh, climactic action sequence was so cool and so beautifully written. And I there's just so much going on there. There's panic, there's terror, there's horror, there's vulnerability, there's... Um, scathing confidence there's just so much to play with and and then you know the the final few acts of violence are just so gory and it's like oh yes that's gonna be effing incredible and and to me it was watching it on on screen this the effects and the effects makeup was just incredible i thought they did a fantastic job and it was uh, so satisfying and exhausting uh, uh, to play, but so satisfying, so absolutely satisfying. Do you feel like you need to like at one point to go, hey guys, do you mind if maybe maybe I should do something really cool right here? <laughs> maybe we should get <laughs> <your knife in. laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it was more just like, oh, what more irredeemable things can you have me do in this moment and let me do them? <laughs> and um, 
I just, you know, I, I loved it. I loved giving my all. I would say this one is horror adjacent. Again, this one is, you know, the filmmakers were maybe saying uh, that this might be an action film, you know, a horror adjacent action film because there are um, sort of like bigger action sequences and deaths and bigger fights and there's even an explosion or two. So it's definitely uh, a horror adjacent action film, I would say. Agreed. Yeah, Blind Man gets some, uh, uses some of those Jason Bourne skills and like that huge explosion, yes. especially that. Uh, yes. and, then, and then seeing the immediate aftermath, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is the kind of movie we're in. This is this is the ride we're in for here. Is 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 this? And hopefully everybody gets theirs, or you're wanting everybody to get theirs. And I, I did see a screening of it uh, last week, and you know, as like different characters went down, um, people were applauding, and the the applause got more intense as it went on because they were just like, "Yes, get this a hole, like get him off screen." now like he needs to go so it was it's and i agree so <laughs> i was so glad when this di- when uh you know so many movies have made the move to streaming because of mm. the circumstances that we're in so whenever yeah. something lands in a theater i'm i'm there's certain movie movies over others that i'm more excited and i was really excited that this was going in because i remember going to see don't breathe one and I think it was a Sunday yeah. matinee. And yeah, yeah, those reactions are sharp and visceral. And it's just more interesting having people there to feed off of that energy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have been talking as vaguely as possible about this, just not to give spoilers, but you guys, the movie's out, so you can give spoilers. I don't care. Uh, but there's oh, a good. moment at the end um, where. Um, Another character says thank you. That's exactly what I was end. thinking about. <laughs> okay. So I another character says thank you towards the end of the film. And a woman in the audience that I saw the film with yelled out, oh hell no. And I was just <laughs> <laughs> cracking up because that's that's what you want. Like to me, that's actually my favorite moment in the whole film. And I I laughed hysterically when I first saw it because that line was improv. I remember when that line was given. Oh. And I, I remember it as being improv. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I remember it as being improv. And to have someone in the audience just have an immediate gut reaction of, oh, hell no. Like, how dare you? To me, was just like, what more can you ask for? That's chef's kiss right there. Yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't get any, oh, hell no's, but everybody at the screening I was at was just on the floor. With that. I was like, no, you. I don't think anybody, no matter what they don't know, do know about the film, what they may think. Nobody can go into watching this, see that, and just go, and just like not have a reaction. It's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Like absolutely. Even if you despise the film, that moment there <laughs> is just. Oof! It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful moment. It's so good. It's so juicy and tasty. <laughs> and see, that's that's another brilliant, th- uh, beautiful thing about Don't Breathe too is the fact that it really does play around with all those little bits here and there. Like you're allowed to feel emotion. You're allowed to feel humor. You're allowed yeah. to feel disgusted and at, as, not always at the person you expect. And yeah. <laughs> like, what more do you want? Like, this is just literally a ride. 
yeah, like you are not supposed to feel comfortable at all watching this mm -hmm. movie. And it's okay to be uncomfortable and, and um, rooting for this person or rooting for that person or being uncomfortable, not rooting for anybody. Like that's how you're supposed to feel. The film starts with an uncomfortable action sequence. Uh, you know, you're, it's, it's, there's a scary dog running. And, and so the, it's uncomfortable. It's not necessarily a joy to watch. And that's what makes it horrific in my eyes. And that's what makes it a horror. It's, it's, you don't know where, where you're supposed to stand on. Yeah. It's always playing with the line. Absolutely. You don't know who's who, you don't know who's who and, and what they want from each other. And I, I love that. I'm wondering if there was any discussion at any point, because I thought about this, because I'm sure everybody thought about this when, they, when they're watching this, because anybody who's seen the first film knows what the blind man did, and now we're trying to see him <laughs> another way. Like we were talking, like, like kind of how we kicked off the conversation, but I, 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 thought, I thought to myself is like, anybody who didn't see the first one can see this and not have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about anything from the first film. And so I started to think since Fetty made the Evil Dead remake, and Sam's a producer on these. Is there a kind of discussion like this is just like Evil Dead 2 to Evil Dead where it's almost like not even a soft reboot, but just like the same movie. Now we can move on from here with not the story from the first one. Yeah, I, I bet Fede, I bet Fede, Sam and Roto had those discussions. Uh, I wasn't privy to them, but I'm sure they had those discussions. What, what I enjoyed about the film is that it's a standalone piece if if you saw the first one and were a fan it's definitely going to enrich your experience of the second one but you don't need to see the first one to to enjoy the second one at all um it's a standalone piece and it, it just takes place in the same world and mm -hmm. um and i think that's that's what it is for me and i yeah I, I thought that was actually a very shrewd, smart move on their part. Even though they do kind of, they do kind of have their cake and eat it too, because they have his whole soliloquy at the end where he's like, don't come near me. I've done horrible things. I've raped, I've murdered. That could, that like, could be a war thing. That could be a, in, in his mind, that could be his, his past in, in the army. And the it Navy could. Says. Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's more about have your cake and eat it too sort of thing. Like you could very conveniently ignore don't breathe one and don't breathe too. It's almost like saying, don't breathe, take two. Yes. Yeah, I, I really like that because it does, it does help summarize. It doesn't excuse or justify uh, the character's actions and choices, but it does help summarize for people um, who maybe aren't as familiar with the first one or who maybe aren't, you know, but it does, it does sort of help him come full circle and whether or not it's sincere or not, you know, he is literally brought to his knees at that point and is at death door. And, you know, that, that is the time, um, unfortunately, except for the most stubborn of individuals, like that maybe they ex finally express a tiny bit of humanity in their life, you know, a tiny bit of humanity and humility. So, you know, and that's what it was for him. Um, so we'll we'll see, but I, yeah, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and cut. Yeah, tapping out on us already. Ah, oh, we did it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, there yeah. we go. There you go. There you go. There's our transition because 
here yeah. at Over Rentals, we like talking about films that we, we say maybe didn't get enough attention when they first came out, or maybe they were massive award winners, but like people kind of don't talk about them the same way anymore. And since right. Welcome to the Dollhouse was your first film, it, it's yes. such an interesting thing to me because I remember when that came out and I remember it being like, it was everywhere. You couldn't turn your head without people talking about the film, even if it was, even if it was something they weren't aware about. And, and I'm wondering kind of how that through the years, I'm sure people bring it up, but does it seem like it's kind of fading away in even your own mind through the years? I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, maybe it is fading away a bit. It was, I shot the film in 1994 when I was 14 years old and it was my first feature film ever. I didn't even know that people literally yelled action and cut hmm. on, on film sets. I thought that was like a myth created by Warner Brothers cartoons. Like I, I didn't know that action and cut and like having a film slate with a clap is how people really actually make movies. And so it was a incredibly new experience for me. And I guess, I guess when I was younger and I, I looked more similar to when I was 14, I'm no longer passable for 14 that uh, people would remind me of that film constantly and ask for, you know, this, my signature tagline. Um, and, you know, ask me to repeat it over and over to them again and again. Um, so I guess I get, like, asked about that less and less. I will say I just worked with an actor who was like, hey, do you know this director, Todd Solans? And, and was like, have you ever seen this film, Welcome to the Dollhouse? And he said it with all sincerity. And I was like, yes, I'm actually quite familiar with that movie that happened to be in the film. And I, you know, tried to explain it as humbly as I possibly could. <laughs> and then he said, no way, who are you in that movie? And I say, oh, I play the bully. And he's like, get out of here, that's awesome. So um, in some ways, the fact that people don't recognize me from it is an honor, you know? And that's, I've definitely been in a number of films and people will ask me, uh, are you an actor, blah, 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 yes. And like, oh, what movies have you been? And, and, you know, and then I reluctantly wheel off a few and they're like, oh, you're not in that movie. I saw it. And it's like, no, I'm definitely in that movie. I hate to break <laughs> it to you. Um, so it's kind of an honor if people don't recognize me from the films, especially considering a lot of the characters I play. Yeah. And uh, this is a, a hell of a character to start your resume off with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. a, a charming, endearing young man uh, who, <laughs> who wants certain things in life. Uh, uh, certain things. That's a particular taste. Yeah. How did, um, first of all, how did you land the role of, uh, well, I, I, keep, I keep mixing up because you are Brendan and this is Brandon. And just like, right. that, that's this beautiful sort of like, oh, wait, Brandon, Brandon. Ah, ah. So you, how did you land the role of Brandon? And how did you sort of, react to this material as a 14 year old i mean this is some pretty yeah heavy stuff to be jumping into i would i was 14 when i read the script and i hadn't i had an agent at the time i did a off-broadway play that won an ob award the year before and that's how i got my first agent and my agent sent me the script and told me about the audition and i auditioned I don't know, maybe three or four times for the role of Brandon McCarthy. Um, and 
that's how I got the role. But when I read the script, I thought, I thought it was great. It was like, yeah, this is how kids talk to each other. This is how they treat each other. And, and I know um, it's rare still to this day, even with the great shows that exist for young people, the great shows and films that exist for young people, that's still a challenge for the young actors to find scripts that are realistic to how, how kids truly are and how they truly behave and truly treat each other and how they talk, you know, like uh, so often uh, Hollywood films try to like be cool with the lingo and they're always three years behind. And I was just impressed that, yeah, kids are this cruel. This is how we treat each other. And I've been on both sides of that. And I, so I was impressed and wanted to be a part of it with but, no hesitation. You know, the character, like you're, like you're saying, you know, you, you walk onto the set, you didn't even know they actually sell the yelled action and cut and stuff like that. So even at that right. age, you may be thinking, even though you're a performer and this is what you want to do, you may be thinking, all right, I, this is how I need to portray him because this is what's on the page. And, and he is a much deeper and layered character than he first gives off to start with. And I'm wondering, as you've grown older, have mm. you started to look at him a little differently in your own mind? That's really interesting. I would say... If I, if I did think about Brandon McCarthy more, I would definitely be more forgiving, just, you know, because I know for myself at 14, I would want to be more forgiving to my own self at 14 for how I behaved, and especially in middle school for how I behaved towards others. Um, and I would be want, want to be more forgiving towards the people who treated me poorly in middle school because they were just kids. And we were all just trying to figure it out as best as we could. And not a lot of us had the best guidance or the best homes, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I would definitely be more forgiving towards Brandon even now. And um, because I know life is hard enough for someone in their forties, let alone someone in their teens, God forbid. Wow. You know, um, I actually had a screening of a, don't breathe last week I met a 22 year old filmmaker and I didn't even know they make 22 year olds anymore so I was just flabbergasted to meet a 22 year old let alone a teenager um you know so I especially now it's gotta be so hard I can't imagine I can't imagine what it's like to be a kid these days it's it's funny too because I and I never really thought about it up until recently I mean I thought about part of this but more so when I was rewatching this that I did, it kind of hit me because, you know, everybody now as you're older and they may look back at kids who had troubled backgrounds, didn't know then, or, you know, couldn't really emotionally express, you know, the layers of all that. I remember as a kid, I remember in high school or junior high, I wouldn't call him a bully. He wasn't somebody who bullied me or stuff like that, but there was definitely somebody who, you know, kind of like, you know, was trying to like nudge into me here and there. And I said, one day I said to him, I turned, I was like, why can't we just be friends? He's like, I thought we were friends. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's just the idea of like, as children not being able to understand it and, and, and hoping, you know, yes, we may have done some stupid things, done some weird things, but to kind of look at those characters again and then say, I really wish I could talk to them a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember in high school, um, there were a few kids I got into fistfights with um, and not even fair one-on-ones, like, you know, 
three-on-one kind of mm-hmm. situations and then they want to be my friend after that because just and it, it's like one of those weird like poetic things where it's like really you just want human contact and it's like in, in lieu of a hug you'll you'll take a fist to the face and kind of thing you know <laughs> and it's like really you know these people probably just you know needed needed some human contact in some way i don't know yeah, it's weird. I actually, I had not the same exact thing. I actually had my only fight when I was a kid. And it was the, yeah. it was the stupidest thing. We, the two of us fighting where it was a joke. Um, <laughs> right. But after it, after it was over, it was just like, hey, we're friends now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I re- actually, I, I have uh, one sister that I have a great relationship with. She's like six or seven years older. And when I was, I remember this physical fight we had very specifically because uh, we fought all the time and I must have been five she must have been 12 and in the middle of the fight I'm like pulling her hair she's pulling mine she just starts laughing out loud mm. like cackling laughing just hilarious laughter and best friends ever since that somehow her laughter just stopped it I don't know what held it what, what what compelled her to do it but she just started laughing stopped and we've had a great relationship ever since and sounds like a similar experience to yours i don't know it just reminded me of that story it's just it almost sounds like it's that trial by fire sort of thing where it's like you, you really know someone by fighting them as as, as some people are wont to say so you know right. once that fight's out of the way it's like oh wow okay yeah we can get along now yeah, got that out of the way. Thank God. All right, cool. We don't ever have to do that again. Now that we did that, <laughs> we got it out the way. Now we can just get onto the good stuff of relating and being there for each other and making each other laugh. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Maybe I should just, instead of offering a handshake, just punch people in the face from now on. I don't know. Yeah, just a quick throat punch. And then like yeah. not, a, not a hard one, just a light one. And then they yeah. all of a sudden know you mean business. And yeah that's where the true understanding of one person comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, offer my throat in return. Um, <laughs> exactly. Help them up, stand them up and then offer my neck as, <laughs> as a way to greet. And then, and then, yeah, we're viscerally connected after that. We're trauma bonded. We must be friends now. <laughs> it's strange though, because at the end of the day, that's almost technically what welcome to Dallas is trying to say. Cause it's like, yeah, Hey, you're going to have to deal with this stuff. But then at the end of the, you know, after it's all over, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, what a, what a wild, bittersweet, funny, dark, cringy movie that is. Uh, and like, what, what a treat to be a part of as my first film too. Like, it, was, so it, lucky. Was, it was funny because my, my friends in the movie, before I knew her, she's in it for like two seconds. She plays Ginger, like Steve's, X that that Dawn asks yes. about. Yes, yes, yes. That may I say a line? Or, oh, please, or, please, yes. She, she she talks to her about fingering, right? Ginger talks to her about yep. fingering, and and her character then throughout the next fifteen minutes of the film tries to figure out what fingering <laughs> is. Um, so yes, I remember her character. <laughs> in my head, though, for some reason, I could until I watched it again. I had thought that you two actually interacted in the film. And so I actually contacted her. I'm like, hey, talking to Brendan on uh, on Friday, is there anything you want me to pass on? Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't think we even saw each other. But 
it's just the idea, her too. Like that was the first thing, that's no, not the first thing she ever did. She was in that movie, she got cut from it, but she was in the movie, The Funeral with Christopher Walken. She like played as like granddaughter. Yeah. yeah. And she was in it for like two seconds, but like, yeah, but it's, it must be so weird being that age, portraying that age. Cause, cause whether it's not, it's tr- exactly like you were saying earlier, that's true. That's how we talked. And so it felt yeah. real. Since you're, you're acting, it, it, must feel, it must have felt weird at the end of the day saying, well, am I acting am I, or am I just being myself? <laughs> I, I heard uh, Bill Murray once say, uh, the hardest thing to be is yourself. So mm. if you can get paid to be yourself on screen, it's quite the accomplishment. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I was 14 and young and naive, but I was definitely, um, I definitely saw myself as sophisticated. You know, I've, like, I was, tra- you know, training as an actor at the time. I was, you know, taking classes and definitely probably thought of myself as a bigger deal than I was. Mm-hmm. So to me, like, there, there was an interest in portraying this as real as possible. And so it was okay to lean on my own self to play the role. I didn't, didn't mind it. Um, didn't mind the sort of head game that goes on sometimes with that. Well, I guess I'll just sort of drop the bomb here. Um, this is my first sure. time seeing this movie. Oh, cool. This was my very first time. Oh, cool. And I love how this treats the teenage experience because at, uh, first of all, that if, if you go, if you've gone through, you know, the suburban public school system, there are PTSD flashbacks to be had in this right down to the condescending <laughs> paternalism of, yes. of the leaders and the teachers. And yes. just, ugh, like, I, I remember that from elementary th- right or straight through to high school, just that. Yes horrible ironclad sort of totalitarianism and the really cool thing about this is there's no easy shortcut for dawn like right from the beginning she's a loser that the losers don't want to deal with and oh my gosh there's so many ways that this could have went what a fate what a fate (laughs) yeah like at the beginning that kid's getting beat down and she's he's like get out of here wiener dog it's like, wow, <laughs> I all of a sudden understand a new class of the social strata, the rock bottom. Yes, yeah. And just the, the poor girl disappears to New York and no one cares. And right. at the same time, what starts as like this huge antagonistic thing with Brandon turns into probably the only solid relationship she latches onto and destroys all the other ones for. Right. And even the way that it ends is just very bittersweet and yeah, you were that close. Yeah, poor girl. The only uh, real human connection she can make is with her torturer. Like what, how horrible. But I think, you know, that is, that is a suburban reality, you know, like small, small environments. You're 14 or 12. I think she was 12. Like you don't have a car and like, you know, you're forced to make connections with people in proximity. That's what it is. And, you know, I guess she's lucky she 
came across someone who was too chicken shit to carry out his threats, you know, like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, like, talking about it, like, is bringing up all these things for me. I just, like, feel for Dawn so much, Yeah, you know? And it's never, like, an easy pity. It's never, the film never sets her up as, look, this is who you're supposed to dump all your emotions into. It just oh, happens yeah. because of that sister of hers. <laughs> yes. Tell me you're the villain without telling me you're the villain. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's true. They don't, she, she doesn't really have any redeemable qualities except for just being young and doing her best. Like she, she's, you know, she's full of jealousy and petty revenge and, and she's not, good looking she's not charming she's awkward she's no one likes her she's in the way all the time and yeah it's like i don't know it's it's beautifully new beautifully nuanced in the, in the way it's portrayed like it's it's wonderful i think i think you need to call todd though because i think this is out of all the types of films that they should have like random 30 year later uh sequels to to find out what happened to these characters this would be a really interesting one to see where they all are now i think i think he's trying to make a few sequels out of it and a few different times a few different ways um i know there was he wanted to make a sequel and it didn't get off the ground so he in one of his films he kills don wiener in the first right. scene and the in the first scene they're having they're having uh, a funeral for Don Wiener, and they did bring back uh, some of the actors from the Wiener family to more. I remember Dawn. she was in, she was in two. There we go. I think she came in two films. Now I remember it. You're right. Yeah. And then, I mean, he did make a film called Wiener Dog. I it's I think it's literally about a Dotson, but I do think <laughs> yeah. Don Wiener is in the film. I I don't know. Brandon McCarthy might be in the film. I don't know. Like I haven't seen that one yet. It's one of one of one of the few films of his I haven't. I haven't oh, yeah. seen it, so so he does he does have a sequel, I think at least one. Um, I don't know, maybe he has more in stock. I don't know, uh, but it is it is interesting. I remember once uh, I I was still a teenager when someone when a journalist asked me this question, I was like, "Where do you see Brandon McCarthy in 20, 30 years?" I was like, "I don't know. I see him as like just you know a sanitation worker," and the journalist was so disappointed in me. So, and I don't know why, I don't know why, like maybe I was supposed to like create this elaborate story about going to rehab and then coming back or, or, or not making it. Maybe he was supposed to jump off a bridge and that would have been mm. satisfying. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. I just see him as a sanitation worker doing the best he can, you know, like maybe raising a family and journalist was so disappointed and my, my teenage self just crumbled right there. <laughs> okay first of all that journalist should crumble because when about what that kid went through and the fact that he ran away to new york raising a family becoming a sanitation worker you know surviving to do all of that yeah that's a win that is a human win absolutely absolutely finding contentment within that just being being finding equanimity and equal that would be a huge one absolutely yeah. i would take that that'd be a huge victory for they me. probably want him to be another will hunting it's like he goes no. you know, right. he, he starts to study uh, quantum equations and he discovers uh, time travel 
No, they want <laughs> they want the opposite. They want sensationalism. They want them to be like a rent boy or something. That's <sighs> what they were thinking. Yeah, they wanted sensationalism. Yeah, yeah. Stark brutalism. Is this because we watched a Lars Van Trier movie this week, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> what was the What was the Lars Van Trier movie you guys watched? Uh, we prepped another episode that we're doing a, a special yeah. uh, preview for everyone. We're going to be doing an episode with Dancer in the Dark soon. Awesome. The Dancer in the Dark, I saw it with a friend of mine and, in the theaters, and we were so devastated after seeing that film we were, that we had to go for a run, that we just spontaneously mm. started sprinting down these New York City blocks because... That was the only way we could handle that film and process it afterwards. Oh, so yeah. That's, that's going to be an exciting episode. I, I might have to tune in for that myself. <laughs> ah, oh, it's, it's going to be, a, it, it is going to be a good one. I will not say much, but it's, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> it's going to be a real, it's going to be a, because it's with another movie that is uh, not Pretty. as depressing, but, you know, yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. Oh, that movie is so brutal. That movie is so depressing. Oh, that that movie is just low blow after low blow, and just it. The movie doesn't even have the mercy to take a knife and stab you with it and twist it. It's just like, no, we're only gonna use blunt objects, yes. and we're only gonna. Yes, it's only gonna be internal bleeding. You don't even get the satisfaction of watching it ooze out. It's just like we're gonna torture you emotionally, and this. Yeah, that movie still haunts me. I don't think I've seen it again since. And I love, I love that dark stuff. And I don't think I've seen it since. So, and that's the other poll that I'm kind of glad Welcome to the Dollhouse kind of avoided because if they, Todd Stalin's really wanted to, this could have been something very ripped from the headlines. Like you know, Don Don is it, it is sort of ironic that Dawn does all of these things that could have gotten her kidnapped and you're just kind of waiting for that. Yes. And then it's her sister that gets grabbed. Yes. And even then it's like, yeah, nothing happened. She was enjoying that she had a television and as much McDonald's as she wanted. <laughs> like he, he yeah. lets the audience fill that in. And then the reality is like, yeah, it doesn't always end that way, but still not a good thing to happen. Yeah, the, the, the horror is in the not knowing and you just fill in the blanks yourself, right? Uh, I But I think he does, I think he explores it in later films, like in a film like Palindromes or something, that those kinds of really dark themes. Uh, yeah, that's the one where Dawn dies. Palindromes <laughs> is the one where Dawn dies and I, right, I just looked it right. up and then Wiener Dog, her and Brandon are back and now I need to see this movie because I'm wondering how? Uh, is this like, or are we talking like, are they variants? Is this like a Loki scenario here? Uh, I need answers because now yeah. all of a sudden it's Greta Gerwig and Kieran Culkin instead yeah. of uh, Brendan Sexton III and uh, Heather yeah. Barraza. Yeah, I think that, I think if I was directing that movie, I, that's, those, are the act, those are the casting choices I would have made, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to see it. Uh, I, I would say, like he, he very smartly allowed for humor in the first one, and some of the humor is just from pure awkwardness as an audience member, not knowing what to do with this uh, discomfort, and there's no other release for it because he's not going to provide it through just 
is through laughter. That's the only way you can get through it. If you're invested in the story, the only way to get through it is to laugh. And, and I don't know, that's maybe a lesson for life and maybe a lesson Todd knows well, which is why he's so good at navigating that awkward humor. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun. Speaking of casting choices, because when we were getting mm. ready to talk to you, of course, I went up and looked some stuff up to remind myself of, of certain things. And every time I put your name into Google, the first picture that comes up is you on the red carpet. You have just a mustache. And you <laughs> 100% look like Chris yeah. Novoselic of Nirvana. And so now that musical biopics are so big, there's going to be a Nirvana one coming out eventually. You have to fight for their role. That's cool. I would love to throw a bass guitar up in the air and have it land on my forehead on live national television. Um, I'm, I'm probably too old for that role at this point, but that's pretty dumb. Doesn't cool, make, yeah. well, they'll make Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty darn cool. Um, I just love to act, man. I don't care what the role is, you know, just like give me a script and a paycheck and let's do it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really don't care. I just love to work, you know, and I like am typecasted as a villain and, and that's fine. That's great. Let's do that. I can have fun doing that. I can explore the differences between the characters. And so I, I don't care, man. I'll, I'll do whatever. Yeah, cast me in any biopic you want. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, the villain pool is just so it, it, there. There's just so much to it. As much as there, as much variance as there is playing a hero, because you can be a really fun villain. You can be a very sleazy villain. You could be just a villain oh, yeah. who who just you can't help but love. Oh yeah, I mean, this. You know, you mentioned Loki earlier, and like those. That Loki, you know, is archetypically a trickster, but in the way he's like a petulant prince as well. And so there's, and he's sadistic and elegant, and and there's just so much fun things to do with that. And yeah, I think there's all sorts of villains to play. Like I usually, I often play repentant villains, like Brandon McCarthy, like someone who does something reluctantly uh, um, or does it and then afterwards feels bad about it. And so they're very tortured about their choices. And I think I often play those and or villains that can maybe garner some sympathy. And to be honest, those are more emotionally taxing and harder. It's much more fun to play just pure sadists who, who enjoy what they do for a living, which is torturing others. Those, those, those roles are honestly much more fun because it, then it's, you're not playing the evil, you're just playing the joy. And so um, I've gotten a couple of those occasionally and one recently. So like that's, those are, those are much more fun repentant villains who, who are tortured by their own mistakes and choices. Yeah, because like if you're just playing the joy, that's just solid burn. Like you don't really have to stop here or there. That's just straight ahead. But then yeah, yeah. just For me, it's all cupcakes and puppy dogs, like one of those roles. Like that's <laughs> you no, know, it really is you know, yeah. Like, it's just cupcakes and puppy dogs under um imaginary circumstances that are really brutal. And so <laughs> Well, I, 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 it's, it's, it's funny to think about it too, because I think that there are so many good guy roles too, that of course they're, you know, underneath there's, there's a lot more going on behind what's, you know, there, there's hero, there's villain when you want to talk about action films, but when you're talking about anything sure. else, nobody's pure, especially again, going back to don't breathe too, where everybody's on who knows what side of the line at this point. So 
you're going to find it any, in any role, right? Yeah, I think that's life, right? We all make mistakes and um, make bad choices. And we still want the people we care about most to root for us and be there for us as we make our bad choices. And I think those are the people who are my friends and family. Like, um, hey, guys, I'm about to make this bad choice. I know it's a bad choice. And they're like, oh, that's great. We love you and support you. And when it all falls apart and crumbles as it inevitably will, we'll be there for you. And I, I think that is life. It just There's lots of great areas. And, and often at times there aren't, there isn't a right answer or a wrong answer. It's, you know, you have the cards you're dealt with. And um, I'm not saying that's who the characters in Don't Breathe are, but there are, there's a lot of gray in life. And, and you don't always know what the best choice is. And often you're left with two suboptimal choices that neither are great. And, and that is just how it is in life. And so I think in some ways, you know, as an actor, it's just like, that's the challenge is like bringing out the, those grays and the subtlety of grays and the difference of grays and what kind of grays are those? And what's the hue of gray? Like, you know, what's the gray today? Yeah, I think in Don't Breathe, there's, um, there's, there's only like two pure characters in the film. Um, unless you include the dogs. And, and even the dogs aren't necessarily pure. You know, they've been, <laughs> been trained by fairly nefarious individuals. So, so maybe at most four pure characters and two of those are four-legged characters. So... <laughs> <laughs> And that that really is a hell of a choice to give your uh, to give Raylan because, you know, again, well, I'll, I'll I'll sort of dance around it myself, not to outright spoil okay. it, but okay, the way that it, it, the choice that he has to make there, it's not that he doesn't love, it's that he kind of sees things pragmatically in a certain way, that one yes. person is sort of weighed more over the other. And yes. it's it, you when you listen to the dialogue, it's really the 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 gang members that are really parsing it out as the audience would, saying, "Hey, right. that person is important because of this function." Yes. And then you have that—that's your audience surrogate right there. Where it's like, I still don't think it's cool. Yeah, I get I get this in a pragmatic thing, but I'm not cool with that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I hope that's the experience the audience has, and I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think Raylan, we actually, that sort of bit, that um, segment of the film you're talking about, we sort of discovered Raylan's um, hesitance or reluctance then on set that wasn't necessarily built into the script. Like his motivation um, for the first act or first two acts was definitely built into the script and worked really hard on that with Rhoda, the director, and um, the other actor. Um, who says the thank you line. And we, we really crafted that well and crafted that backstory really well and worked hard on it. And it was, it was the one thing I actually pointed out to Rhoda when we first met. It's like that, that backstory needs to be very clear because that is what propels the whole movie, actually. And um, it, the, the backstory has to be very clear to the actors. And, yeah. and ha that has to be real and it has to be believed and and then that segment of the film with Raylan being somewhat tortured by his choice that was discovered on set and that was not 
in the written text on the script and something Roto came up with on the spot. And which was nice to me because, you know, I'm vain and I do sort of want to be the hero, you know? <laughs> but even though I'm very far from it in some ways or 99% of the ways, but like, you know, it, you know, it spoke to my vanity a little bit. And then it spoke to my vanity as an actor. And it's like, oh, cool, more layers to play with, more gray. Give me, you know, add more, add more whites and blacks and then you mix these up and play with them. So it was fun. Well, I wish we could stay here and talk longer about all of them and other movies we haven't gotten to talk about, but we have to let you go. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. Matthew, Mike, you guys were awesome. Thank you so very much for having me. What a great conversation. And I look forward to your Dance from the Dark episode. Ah, well, Brendan, thank you so much for the praise and thank you for being here. Stay safe and uh, maybe we'll see you again in the future. I'd love that. You guys stay safe too. Bye. Brendan Sexton third, ladies and gentlemen, on Over to Rentals. Thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was really, really, I mean, look, not every film, even though he wants to make you think that way, has, has Brandon, Brendan, excuse me. I'm just getting now confused about the Brendan and Brandon between the two movies uh, as, 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 as the villain or anything like that. But it's so great when you get to sit with somebody and they're just the, mo- the loveliest people in the entire world. Oh, yeah. And just he, again, we're talking about that sort of character actor's work ethic. I feel like those are the type of people that really do dig into the villainous roles and really flesh it out. Like sometimes you will see a leading actor type really do a fantastic job of that sort of thing. I mean, we've seen Tom Cruise do it a couple times. Uh, Maybe I'm only just thinking about that because we've got collateral sort of floating in our minds for an eventual episode. But even like his turn and interview with the vampire or Tropic Thunder, like he's someone that he loves playing the hero, but every now and then he's played these really interesting villains that you can't help but watch. And Brandon Sexton III is definitely someone that is a compelling antagonist. Like I, I blanch away from calling him a villain just because. Yes, that's true. Especially in Welcome to the Dollhouse. In Welcome to the Dollhouse, I, I definitely would not call him a villain. I would even sort of blush calling him an antagonist. Well, he's an antagonist. He's definitely the definition of someone antagonizing. Yeah, him. but but his character, you know, is much, it's clear that there's so much more going on and it's clear that yeah. he's he's definitely that person who's just kind of really just wants the connection, just doesn't know how to do it uh, kind of thing. I mean, it, it goes, he, he again, he says some really fucked up shit. I still grapple with how first movie, 14 year old child actor. And I'm, I'm, I, I think I know the moment that he gets quoted on, but you know, obviously I, I'm, I'm not going to repeat it because you know, listeners may not want to hear, but you know, he, he threatens bodily invasion. Like he threatens a young girl as most bullies would. Yeah. And just seeing him and like, I still can't get over. Like I, I know Heather Matarazzo from like, devil's advocate or princess diaries (laughs) and just seeing really young like i i want to go back and look up and see if it's her first it is it is just such amazing command on her end too because and on uh, both of their ends this could have been you know without the right direction this could have just been your normal teen pride teen pride movie teen angst movie but dawn never gets that moment but that's the interesting thing about the movie too and where 
maybe it doesn't get talked about as much anymore because I wonder if it's another case where even though it's not trying to promote all of these horrible things, I'm wondering how younger audiences now today re would react to even sitting trying to watch it because unless you sit through it, you know, halfway through a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the current younger generation are going to be like, I can't believe they're doing Excuse me, who let this be made, you know? I wonder. I really do wonder, though. Like, I wonder what age would be the cutoff, because I think to a certain extent, like maybe when the younger generation gets to college age and gets to, you know, the enlightening and, and the, dare I say, wokeness of, of things, that's when you really see the puffed up chest. But when you're still in the trenches of middle school and high school, I, I really do wonder what young people would think of this film. I don't know if, I don't, I don't even know if I would want people that young to even watch, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you really need to be an, a, a mature audience member. It's not like you're gonna sit people down for family movie night and watch it. <laughs> I think we watched it for family movie night. No, <laughs> yeah, well, you remember. know what? Your family sounds like it was a little more hip when it came to those things. And just, you know, your, your dad didn't show you these things to make you squirm. It's like, oh, you, you gotta see this. Because yeah, but this, this, wasn't, this wasn't one that he bought the mind. This is one because that's like now like the pinnacle of like me taking the reins for all of this myself and uh -huh. reading all the articles about what's coming out and all this other stuff saying, oh, we should watch this. Um, but yeah, no, but, but, but true, we probably still would have watched it together. I can't honestly remember at this point now. I may have watched it with friends. I don't, I don't remember at all. But it's like, how would a younger audience, you know, I've never seen it myself, but I know enough of it, enough about it to say, how would a younger audience react to Dazed and Confused? Well, or I mean- times at Ridgemont High. And for Days and Confused, it was about the same same ages for me as well. <laughs> um, but Days and Confused, it wrote a different line for me. I mean, yeah, it, it dealt with a lot of those things, but uh, except for the excessive high school version of hazing, which, uh, you know, at my point in life didn't, uh, that never really existed. No, same here. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff almost was is. is I guess and you can say generic is just the way that they told that Linklater wanted to tell his story. And I was right in Linklater this time, not by accidentally saying the wrong director. <laughs> no, no, that is, yes, Days and Confused is a director of Linklater. Flip back, flip back to what, what episode was that where I, where I accidentally said, uh, that was with Emil oh. Hirsch, I think. I, I accidentally said um, Linklater when I meant to say uh, Gus Van Sant. Oh yeah, with the, with Psycho. For Psycho, yeah. I forget what episode that is. Audience members, if you can tell us what episode that is, good for you. Please email us at overdurentals at gmail.com and let us know. Oh, yes, absolutely. We, we're, it's going to bug us. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and that's, again, th very much the same with a lot of movies. And it's um, with especially some movies that we definitely have coming up that we, we're not going to talk about yet. Um, but welcome to the dollhouse while... If somebody, has, I wouldn't necessarily call it depressing because, you know, while very serious in many ways, it's not, at the end of the day, it is more of the idea of kind of like a hidden uplifting message because it's saying like, it is that whole, you, you know, I'm sorry, it sucks, but it will get better. It's just, we never see any of that. Yeah. We just see her accepting it at the end. Yeah. And that's about and it. But it's the idea that's supposed to. I mean, obviously, from what we know, 
in her case, it doesn't. But well, like that, that depends on which version of continuity you buy, because very true. I don't know what happens in Wiener Dog, but at the very least, she's alive, and and her and uh, Brandon are together, or or at least both living and both in the same story. Yeah, I mean, but it, it is supposed to be that idea because there's a quote somewhere in the movie, and I can't remember the quote specifically. I should have wrote it down because it's like her brother tells you, it's like you know, it is one of those things, it's like you know what, you just got to deal with it now, but later it'll change. And that's the, I mean, that's the ending, her just kind of buying into that when, you know, she starts singing. Yeah. At least that's the way I see it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what you think, Mike. I don't, I honestly don't know, but I think it is purposely left ambigu- ambiguous. And it's just yeah. like, okay, um, well, at least she's home and didn't die or get abducted by some random teacher, which that could have been, like she does all the wrong things and and doesn't the nary a scratch, but and yet her sister's the one that gets kidnapped. And the fucking sister, God. Yeah, she's awful. Yeah. she is. She she is just she. You know you know what she she probably grows up to be an Instagram influencer, like one of the ones you don't like because there's still some influencers you like, but she's one of like bratty influencers. It's like, Ew. yeah, nowadays back then. I don't know. I, honestly, back then, she probably would have grown up to be, you know, a, a, a crack addict in a trailer. Uh, you know, she would have she would have done fine to a certain point, then married the wrong person, got knocked up, and now she lives in a double wide, where she like smokes crack all day. Well, that's just the the Solon's verse where anything can happen. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It does happen. <laughs> Over to Reynolds, ladies and gentlemen. We just we want you to be uplifted and positive and cheery and no double features involving kidnap uh, potentially kidnapped children and uh, the themes of protection and and yeah, it was funny. We actually we, we made comparisons. We never brought up the kidnapping part of Don't Breathe too. Well, it's not technically a kidnapping if you know. Well, there's a well. There's technically two versions of kidnapping. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, the the one kid, well, uh, the one kidnapping I'll give you is the the dad and the family. But I don't know about you know her staggering away from a house fire and then some guy rescues her being a kidnapping. Yeah, but where are the implications? Maybe somebody started that fire because he knew what was going on in the house and knew he can get a little girl out of it. They were cooking meth in that house. If I'm sure I know they were, but doesn't mean that he had nothing to do with it. She just happens to be there. It that happened like when that happens. Same decrepit area of, of Detroit that he was living in, in, in Don't Breathe One. I don't know. I think maybe he started, maybe, you know, because he knows what goes on there. He sees, well, he doesn't see. He knows what goes on ah. there. He's got, he's got his, he's got his ex- uh, Navy SEAL florist buddy who can scout out and knows what's going on around the world. Matthew, you mean to tell me a math lab fire in this part of the town and this part of the state localized within their meth kitchen? Yeah. Can we see it? No. <laughs> and with that, Mike, where can people find us? Well, besides our uh, two-man Simpsons impression group that we like to take around the various improv clubs in New York, you can find us on Twitter, at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook and TikTok, at Overdue Rentals, on Instagram, at Overdue Rentals Show, and as Matthew astutely pointed out, you can send 
reserva- well, reservations. You can send reservations for the next show. You can send suggestions. You can send uh, love letters, uh, hate, le- hate mail, uh, recipes, anything to overdue rentals at gmail.com. And I would also like to remind you all that we are found on all of the fine plat- podcasting platforms you can get access to. So don't forget to leave five stars, subscribe, and leave a review because how, how else are we going to do this without it? And then make sure you go and cross off Welcome to the Dollhouse off your overdue rentals list. Yes, do. After you get back from seeing Don't Breathe Too. There you go. Make it a double feature. Why not? Blah bye. Blah bye.